Yeah. Uh, Jake. Thank you for that very nice introduction. And, and since I can't see those lights out there, Spence, if I'll give you a give me the hook okay. when you want me off of here. <laughs> uh, I, I, as, uh, as you just learned, I lost my sight from retinitis pigmentosa now nearly 20 years ago. Hard to believe uh, that that much time has passed since. Uh, let, me, let me give you a few uh, additional salient facts about RP. That's an easier way to say it. Uh, the, the, but though he said it just right uh, when he introduced me, retinitis pigmentosa, call it RP, is one, it's a hereditary eye disease, a degenerative disease of the retina that's one of a family of genetic disorders known as retinal degenerative diseases. And when you include uh, senile or age-related macula, uh, macular degeneration, they affect perhaps between a million and a half to two million people in this country alone, and they affect millions around the world. They uh, know no boundaries, no race, no color, uh, no geographical boundaries. They affect people, all peoples. Uh, they, these, uh, this group of diseases, as I say, is a, a hereditary group. Uh, many of the people that we have already heard and that you'll hear in the coming, with the coming speakers are prominent geneticists or biochemists, and the work they're doing is having a tremendous impact now on the research that's going on uh, on this field of diseases. They are the leading cause of blindness and of deaf blindness. There's one syndrome known as Usher syndrome, which affects both hearing and sight, uh, that is the leading cause of deaf blindness. Now, uh, to give you uh, a little more perspective, just one more fact. There are three types of, recess, of, of uh, heredity, basic types, recessive, autosomal dominant, and autosomal recessive, and, and X-link or sex-link. Uh, I happen to have the recessive type. Interestingly, one out of every 80 people, just at random, has the recessive gene. Every 80 people at random throughout the world. An interesting statistic. I'll, I'll leave it to the geneticist to give you the probabilities from there. Uh, when, when, uh, when I first, uh, as, as Spencer said earlier, the, the, this problem usually manifests itself uh, at a fairly young age, a lot younger than it did in my case, although, as we all know, sight is a very relative thing. And for all I know, I had the problem, I, I keep telling my sons and others that the reason I wasn't a much better hockey player or better athlete was because in the early years I really had already started having the problem. Uh, but, uh, but really what, what, what typically happens is you lose, uh, with RP, you lose your night vision, the rods go first, the photoreceptors known as rods, and then uh, later on the, the cones or your day vision and color vision photoreceptors. Uh, in, in my case, that, was, that did indeed happen. After I graduated from college, I went into the Navy as a line officer and served in the Western Pacific, a, uh, a time in the early 60s that was beginning to be a time of turmoil, but still, uh, for me, uh, a, a tremendous time to have done that. Uh, when I got out of the Navy, I came back uh, to New York City to see what banking was all about uh, and entered the special development training program at the Chase Manhattan Bank and went to NYU University at night to see, to learn what I was ex uh, experiencing during the day, what it was all about. Uh, 
And, and during that time, I started to have a difficulty with my night vision and had some flashes and, and uh, very distracting, what they call scotomata, just bright lights moving across the field of vision uh, in a way that, that, uh, that bothered me. And I, after a few frustrating efforts to, to find out what I had, I was uh, diagnosed as having RP and was told, and that's a whole story in itself, by the physician that diagnosed me, the ophthalmologist, that what I had was a problem that would probably uh, allow me to have useful vision until I was 65 or 70, and when I was only 25, that seemed like a long time from now. So, so I wasn't really concerned about it. Uh, in 1966, uh, I uh, married a most extraordinary person and my very best friend. Uh, she has uh, been through a lot of all of the things I'm going to describe to you and many more uh, with me. Uh, at, at that time, and, and until about 1968, I, I continued to lose some night vision, uh, but without major, uh, without, without it causing me major changes in my life. Uh, in 68, uh, beginning of 68, and it was one of those years, and we will all have them, and I know you'll have many, uh, years where there's a lot of excitement, a lot of emotion, a lot of ups, and a lot of downs. And uh, on the upside, uh, we had our first son early in the year, uh, and and I uh, was able, I, having become a commercial lending officer of the Chase, uh, found that the the people I really enjoyed working with, and the kind of uh, financial investing that really appealed to me was uh, venture capital, providing uh, high risk investment or seed capital to small businesses either just starting out or in their very early growth stages and dealing with the people, the entrepreneurs, who had new ideas, fresh new products or new services that they wanted to see if they could make a business out of. Uh, so that became, for me, a very uh, exciting time of change, too, when I left the chase and, with some others, put a pool of capital together and formed a venture capital company. We also moved to Princeton that year. Uh, and, and then later in the year, while I was driving back at night from uh, the train station, having uh, our, my office still being in New York at the time, uh, I very nearly uh, hit somebody with my car and uh, uh, splattered his briefcase all over the street. Well, that, uh, that was a tough time because I had, to, I had to give up driving at night. That's a form of independence, of course, an important one, and I guess in recent generations, driving is probably one of the great forms of, of independence, and you all have just uh, recently been given uh, your license to that. Uh, so so uh, that was a difficult time. I, uh, my night vision continued to go through 1969, uh, more grudging give-ups on the independent side, small ones then, and then in 1970, uh, uh, I, all, I started uh, the year by finding out I could no longer fly again during the day. Came into an airport after a business trip flying a rented plane and, and was told I was number 14 to land and I could only count seven uh, on, in the pattern. And uh, so I, I uh, had to give that up 
And a little, uh, a little later, the, my, my day vision started to go very fast. Within about six months, I lost all of my day vision. In 1970, it was going in, in gulps. If I looked at a page, I used to be able to read in almost, you know, a gulp at a time of almost a page, many paragraphs. That uh, was reduced to a few lines, then a few words, then a word, then a letter. Three more minutes. Oh, okay. Well, let me quickly go on. Uh, in any case, that, uh, during that frantic time when my wife and I were searching for some, uh, some way to stop the, this impending darkness, some way to change it, reverse it, uh, I had an occasion to, to be down in Richmond, Virginia with my wife, uh, seeing a doctor who was told to me to uh, have, a, uh, I, I was told, had a cure or had a treatment, he thought, had been working on one, doing research, and he diagnosed me, and then he told me what had happened so many times that his research had ended up at a dead end. Well, with, with that, I was in uh, great despair and wondered and had been laboring under a misassumption, and I have in my office and in my family a, a slogan of CYA or check your assumptions that emanates really from this, uh, but keep that in mind, and maybe later when there's more time I can describe some more thoughts on that. But uh, what happened was uh, he suggested I meet a man. I said, what do I, I don't know what blindness is like. My misconception was that, that when you lost your sight, you, you were uh, almost totally incapacitated mentally as well as physically. I had this stereotypic image of a blind person standing on the corner with a cane and a tin cup, and I, I didn't want that. Uh, he suggested that, that I go to, uh, to see this fellow down the street who was, had been blind for a number of years. It so happened from the same problem, from RP. And uh, my wife and I went immediately. In fact, uh, he, he had a full schedule that afternoon, this, this person. But he, he brought us into his office, which was in the top floor of a building in Richmond overlooking much of the city. Beautiful view. I still had tunnel vision, and I could see it. And, sort of chuckled to myself about him having that great view without being able to see it. And, and yet all the people who visited him did have that benefit. As well, he, he, instead of talking at length with us, he conducted his normal business. He was a financial advisor to the governor. He ran an, a major regional investment bank. He was a member of the board of directors of the New York Stock Exchange, very active in community activities, and a, and a sportsman. And, all the while, I, I, I just got really uplifted by observing this fellow doing things that, that many of which I wanted to do or certainly knew about, uh, doing them because he found alternative methods, alternative ways to get around the limitations of his blindness. Uh, very often, we, we all will encounter, as you've heard from Lou Holtz and many others, we'll encounter difficulties in our lives, losses, things that will limit us in one way or another. But what is extremely important is to really assess those limitations, not like me assume the worst and assume them to be much greater and therefore much more limiting than necessary of me, but find, find alternatives, ways to work around them. Uh, we'll all have them. They don't escape anybody. Uh, as, as, uh, my, uh, as I continued uh, through that summer, I found, uh, I, I, well, one great, that, that was a very bright spot on the horizon, on an ever-darkening horizon for me, and so too was the birth of our second son in November, who 
Just before my, the last of my vision closed in, I was able uh, to see, and for whom uh, that means a great deal now as it does for me. Well, that later than that fall, I finally got a visa that I applied for very early in the year to go to Russia for the last of the treatments that I was told I ought to at least try, the lift up the last stone, and that was what that was really all about. It, it turned out that the treatment was not successful, but it was a wonderful trip because uh, I was taken over by my brother, uh, one of my brothers who had been to Russia recently in on an architectural tour, and he dropped me in Odessa at the Filatov Institute, where, where I found myself suddenly very alone, very recently and newly blind, and unable to communi communicate with anybody. I didn't know the language of Russian. I, I, I did not, uh, I could not use sign language. I couldn't deal immediately with even the basics. Where is the bathroom? What am I eating? How do I get from A to B? Those things were, were uh, uh, that fear, and I had fear then, and I was very afraid, uh, really w got me into a position of feeling uh, at the time, well, look, you, you, can, uh, you can sit around and, and wallow in, in uh, self-pity and, and in what might have been, or you can start thinking about what might be. Uh, that's, that's, uh, it reminds me of uh, a quote from uh, Sir Charles Barkley. I call him Sir only because his team, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, beat our team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, in the first round of the playoffs this last year. But after they lost, as they should have to us, they lost to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, he, was, he was quoted in the... Uh, there's some Philadelphians here. He was quoted in the, in the Philadelphia Inquirer when asked about, well, why didn't you do this, or wasn't it that close? I mean, you were, you were ahead in this game or that game. He said, if ifs and buts were beers and nuts, we could have a heck of a party. <laughs> uh, You've got to get on with it. Uh, well, so anyway, coming back from Russia, my wife came over and met me uh, in Russia. and it, it ended up being a phenomenal experience for me and really regenerating experience. Uh, we set about, uh, essentially, in some ways, a new life. Things couldn't go on as they had uh, before for us. Uh, I had to learn, uh, relearn how to be an effective partner, uh, an effective father, an effective venture capitalist and businessman. And, and uh, I found dur during that time uh, that our capacities, and each of you have great capacities. We all have in our senses and in our memory far more capacity than we utilize. Probably the, the one of the senses we utilize the most is, is sight. In our society, we're a very visually oriented society. Uh, and yet, the others are in, uh, there's, there's great underutilized capacity there that I hope you, without having to go through what I did, will, will learn to use and force yourself to use to a much greater degree. One example uh, is, is uh, that, that we all tend to make uh, hastily derived assumptions about people, about how they look, or be, because of how they look, or how they dress, or how they appear to act. And, and in doing so, we really cheat ourselves as well as them. What I learned to do even much better than I had before was to listen to people, to listen to what they had to say and how they said it. In a way, uh, I, I find now that, that, uh, that I, have, I have grown and, uh, immensely 
from having that, having learned that lesson. Now, just quickly before uh, before I have to get off, before I get the hook, um, I can't let an opportunity like this go without telling you about the RP Foundation. I mean, I've got a captive audience of great renown. I have to sell it. When, when uh, in 1971, my wife and I also decided there was. Uh, nothing more important than living a life that had some meaning and benefit to others besides ourselves. In other words, the greatest satisfactions come from endeavors where you have an impact, a positive impact, either directly or indirectly, on others as you do on yourself. We, we thought, how can we turn this experience of ours into something positive and useful to others? And we, we got together with a number of other people, formed uh, the RP Foundation Fighting Blindness with two goals. One, to put people in touch with other people who were going through this experience so they could find they weren't alone, the only ones with it, and also to do research to ultimately understand the causes of, of these diseases and through that understanding find a treatment or a cure for future generations. Happily, I can tell you, thanks to the care of a lot of people, Steve Wynn, last year's honoree, and his family, his brother Ken and his family, and a host of other people, have, got, have been involved with this effort. We are making tremendous progress. We've got great momentum going. Uh, we have, in the last year, announced, or the science that we have funded, have announced four major breakthroughs. There are two more on the drawing boards. Unhappily, it's not over. Unlike a lot of the careers and businesses you've heard described today and yesterday, we want to go out of business. We're in business to go out of business. But, but encouragingly, our scientists who who are very conservative people, and the ophthalmologists who, who advise the foundation say it's no longer a question of if we will find treatments and cures. It's now only a question of when. Thank you very much for your attention. <laughs>